Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights Podcast, where we talk about interesting recent work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. Okay, today's paper is Bidirectional Attention Flow for Machine Comprehension by Minjun Seo, Aniruda Kimbavi, Ali Farhadi, and Hanane Hajashirzi. These are folks uh, at the University of Washington and the Allen Institute for Artificial, Artificial Intelligence. Min was here as an intern when he did this work. This paper focuses on a task that's become to be known as uh, reading comprehension, which is the, the inputs to this task are a passage of text, in this case a Wikipedia paragraph, and a question uh, about that passage where the answer is constrained to be a span of text within the passage. And so a model needs to take these two inputs and predict as output a span. This, this paper was evaluated on this data set called the Stanford Question Answering Dataset, or SQUAD. And when it was submitted, this paper was originally submitted uh, to archive in November. This was state-of-the-art, got the best, performing, best performance on this data set. Uh, an ensemble of these models is still pretty close to the top performance on the, le the squad leaderboard, though single model performance has gone down quite a bit. Um, because this is a really busy area, there have been a whole lot of submissions recently. So what is a high-level uh, overview in the, of the paper? So at its core, what any technique that wants to answer squad questions needs to do is match words in the question to words in the passage. And then find some kind of type uh, information, like if you see in the question what team, you need to find a team in the passage. So an example passage might be uh, about the Super Bowl in 2010, and the question might be who won or what, which team won the Super Bowl in 2010. And uh, the model would essentially look for the words Super Bowl in 2010, find them in the passage, and then find some noun phrase near that, uh, near that string of words that matches the, what it saw in the question, which team. And that's essentially what this model does. At a high level, you could think of, like it does pretty standard stuff. Uh, you encode both the passage and the question using some kind of encoder. They use uh, word embeddings concatenated with a character level CNN and then pass that through some highway layers, a bidirectional LSTM. Uh, and they do that using the same encoders for both the passage and the question to get them into the same relative space. And then you need to do some kind of matching. The tricky thing with this matching is that you'll have a different number of words in the passage and in the question. And so previous techniques uh, will often take the question and, and smash it into a single vector instead of one vector per word in the question and then compute some attention given that question vector over the passage and try to do a matching that way. Uh, this paper uses a matrix of attentions, essentially computing a similarity between each encoded word in the passage and each encoded word in the question to try to do this matching. And they call it the particular way that they do this bidirectional attention flow. Interestingly, I think this is pretty similar to a method called decomposable attention on the Stanford Natural Language Inference Dataset by Ankur Parikh and some others at Google New York, where they similarly compute a matrix of attentions and then use that. So I guess that task is a little bit different where you have a passage or a premise and a hypothesis and you want to know does the premise entail the hypothesis. And so they decompose this using a decomposable matrix of attentions to compute whether each word in the premise entails each word in the hypothesis and then does some aggregation on top of that. 
Anyway, the point of there is that it's a really similar similarity operation where you have this matrix of attentions. And that's essentially what this paper does. It computes this and then um, gets a representation, takes this matrix and smashes it back into the um, passage representation so that you still have an encoded vector for each word in the passage, which then goes through another few deep by LSTMs, and then you predict the span beginning, pass, pass that through another by LSTM, and then predict the span end. So you get, in the, in the end, which span of text answers the question uh, that was asked. So in what way are the, um, are the two uh, models different? Um, you mean the, the decomposable attention and bidirectional attention yes. flow? So decomposable attention was trying to do uh, natural language inference. And so you, in the end, you, given these two strings of text, you output uh, a yes-no. It was actually entails contradicts or neutral, but essentially you, you predict a classification decision given these two, things, uh, these two strings of text. Whereas in um, squad and this bidirectional attention flow model, they have this similar matrix of attentions, except the output is an index into the passage. And so it's not a simple classification decision. And so you need the output of this uh, similarity matrix computation to go back into something that's the same size of the passage so that you can predict which index of the passage has the answer. That makes sense. Um, so the paper also talks about uh, the difference between uh, dynamic attention and uh, the attention method the, uh, that is proposed in the paper. Uh, would you uh, like to explain the difference between dynamic attention and this approach? I think you're actually a little more familiar with that because of your experience with machine translation. Of course. So in machine translation, your job is to translate from a source sentence, a sequence of words in a source language, to a sequence of words in a target language. And there, as you're translating the first word, you have um, a distribution over the words you're actually translating in the source sentence. Uh, sometimes you'd be translating one word at a time. Sometimes you'd be translating multiple words. Um, and it makes sense as you're translating the following word in the target sentence um, to have a dependency on the previous weights for the attention uh, because you wouldn't be scrambling around the sentence all the time. Uh, so in, in that sense, uh, having some kind of a memory uh, for, the, for the attention, which in this paper it refers to it as dynamic attention, uh, makes sense. As, as opposed to question answering, um, this is not necessarily a useful thing. Does dynamic attention also let you keep track of what things you've already translated? Um, some, some versions of it allows you to do this, yes. Okay, interesting. So another interesting thing to notice is that if you look at the squad leaderboard results, all of the top results have this ensemble thing at the end. And so BIDAF, by the bidirectional attention flow model, which we'll call BIDAF, uh, shows up twice on the leaderboard, one that says single model and one that says ensemble. And the difference between the single model and the ensemble model for almost all of these is about four points F1. So BIDAF on its own gets about 77 F1 score, whereas an ensemble of BIDAF models gets 81 F score. It's just interesting that you always have to do this to get top performance on these tasks. Okay, so how does the BIDAF paper uh, do the ensemble? So, uh, BIDAF is a description of a model architecture, and uh, you can train that model architecture given the squad training set and evaluate it on the squad test set. And this is a single model, but that training procedure relies on a particular set of random states, uh, which you can set using a random seed. And 
what they do to do this ensemble is they just pick 12 different random seeds, train 12 different models, which have exactly the same architecture, but it will be slightly different because of this ensembling. And then uh, each model outputs a probability for each span in the text. So you get like P of XY uh, for each span start, span end possibility in the passage. And then they sum those P of XYs over all 12 models and pick the argmax, the span that has the highest total probability assigned by uh, all of the models together. By any of the models, is that right? Uh, it's not the it's not the the span that gets the highest uh, individual probability score. It's the highest sum of probability scores across all twelve models. I see. Okay. So the last thing I thought we could talk about with this paper is that Min has put up an interactive demo on the web that you can actually play around with this model and how it does. I think this is really nice. It lets you actually evaluate in practice uh, how this does on real real data sets because you can ask it anything you want. You can write your own paragraph and ask the model to answer a question about the paragraph and see how it does. And uh, you, can you can see that it, it does really well on certain kinds of easy questions, but you can also really easily trick the model in really interesting ways. So it, here's an example that I like. Uh, this is uh, found by Peter Clark. The, if, you, if, you, if you give the model the paragraph, a dog's main job is to bark, a cat carries out the task of meowing, and then you give it the question, what task does the dog carry out? It answers meowing and not to bark or barking. I think this is really interesting. Um, and it really highlights what it is that this model is doing. And so it's taking the words in the question and finding the best match to words in the passage. And here, uh, dog matches dog in the first sentence, but task carry out matches cats carry out the task in the second sentence a whole lot better. There's like more overlap with the second sentence than there is with the first, and so it says, oh, the answer is in the second sentence, and then it pulls out the entity, the, the phrase that best matches the question words, like what task, and it, it says meowing, even though the answer is totally wrong. Another interesting failure case of these models uh, is in a demo paragraph. This one actually comes from Squad. It's a paragraph about the Super Bowl 50. The last sentence is, uh, so this is a, it's a paragraph about the Panthers, and it says they, the, Panther, the Panthers, joined the Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, and Pittsburgh Steelers as one of four teams that have made eight appearances in the Super Bowl. So if you ask it what teams have made eight appearances in the Super Bowl, it gives you Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, and Pittsburgh Steelers. Now that's actually right, uh, except it only gives three of the four, because the Panthers only appears as a pronoun and it appears disjoint from Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, and Pittsburgh Steelers. So while this model is able to match eight appearances in the Super Bowl with eight appearances in the Super Bowl in the question, so that, like the question and the passage match almost exactly, it's able to pull out the part of that sentence that answers the question, except it misses that there's also additional information earlier in the paragraph that it could have used to give a better answer to the question. And also you can slightly tweak this, this question to make the model fail again in other interesting ways. So if you give bad grammar to the question and say what team have made 10 appearances in the Super Bowl, it just pulls out Pittsburgh Steelers. It's, that's interesting. It's, it's at least able to, to differentiate singular and plural. And when it thinks that the answer is asking for something singular, uh, it returns just a single answer. I think that's pretty cool. Even though, um, well, I guess it's not clear what you should do with a bad grammar in the question anyway. So um, that's, that's interesting. 
Also, if you change uh, eight appearances to ten appearances, so the question is now, what teams have made ten appearances in the Super Bowl? It gives you the same answer. Uh, it's not surprising that it gives you the same answer. This model doesn't have any capacity to reason about numbers, but um, it shows how easily these models can be misled uh, by giving it questions that are similar to, but importantly different from, word sequences that appear in the passage. Right, so Matthew, working on, on this model and other models, and uh, I saw, uh, you probably have insights on how to address some of the problems um, that you just mentioned. Uh, Ooh, um, personally I think, um, well, if you want to get this 8 versus 10 thing right, you have to have some kind of formal representation of the meaning of this passage. Like, you're not going to get a neural net to do arithmetic without some kind of symbolic computation. It's just not going to happen. I don't think. Maybe, maybe some people would disagree with me, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think you need some kind of merging of semantic parsing in, in some form uh, with these kinds of neural matching of question words to passage texts. Like you, you need something more formal or symbolic to do these more complex kinds of things. I don't think there's a way around that. That makes a lot of sense. Do you think we should uh, just switch gears to doing symbolic reasoning, or do you think there is a way to uh, combine do a hybrid uh, modeling approach where you can do only do symbolic reasoning when you need to? I think that's an excellent question, and it's definitely an open one. There's a lot of research ongoing in this area, and I don't think this is solved at all. Uh, it's something that we're actively working on here, uh, and lots of other people are working on it too. So we'll see how things play out, I guess. Sounds good. Okay, I think that's it for this week. Next time, or sorry, for that's it for today. Uh, <laughs> next time we will talk about a paper called uh, Making Neural QA as Simple as Possible but Not Simpler.